0: Rod, it's the first show post-Labor Day. I'm excited.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm kind of excited because this means it's football season, but I'm also not very excited because it means summer's coming, coming into an, an end. And also the Razorbacks were so bad.
0: Did um, they win? No, well, what? yeah, we the, won, but barely. Who you guys played like a, Portland, a local high school Portland or something? State
1: might as well be a local high school.
0: Portland, yeah, yeah, it's
1: pretty sad. It's a
0: good week of college football, though. I I love the beginning of college football. I did not like seeing on my Instagram feed everyone talking about the end of summer, though.
1: That was silly. We still got two weeks. I know. I started... Also, it's warm outside. Yeah,
0: I mean, yeah. I think you got to enjoy it until it's absolutely over. Correct. I'm gonna s- milk summer until it's absolutely done.
1: Of course. And I'm not buying this whole summer's done when Labor Day
0: comes to an end. What a bunch of grumpy party I think people are just
1: looking for an excuse to post something on Instagram.
0: Yeah. Well, we have a fantastic guest today. Yes, we do. Matt Paul, who is the Iowa expert and uh, friend of both of ours. You want to do his?
1: uh, Yeah, we're so happy to have Matt with us today. Um, Matt was um, Hillary Clinton's Iowa caucus director in 2016. And as all of you will probably recall, we won Iowa. If even by the hair of our chinny chin chin, we did win Iowa. We b- beat Bernie Sanders in Iowa. Um, Matt started his career as a reporter in television and radio in eastern Iowa, so he is um, somebody who knows both the media side and the political side of Iowa. He ran for he ran um, uh, Senator Tom Harkin's campaign, uh, re-election campaign in two thousand eight. Of course, a very um, Long-time Iowa senator. Um, he worked at the Department of Agriculture in 2011 for President Obama's administration. Um, was very involved in passing the p- Farm Bill, among other things. And um, then, of course, worked for Hillary, and was um, went on to become Tim Kaine's chief of staff on the campaign in t- 2016. So, um, I also will say that Matt Paul is a very good dancer. Matt, I think we danced <laughs> at one of our mutual friends' <laughs> wedding for for quite a while. So, anyway, Matt, is there works- any footage? Of that? So no, there's not. <laughs> there's not. not. There is not. Um, so Matt have, was
0: also named one of Des Moines Registers' fifty most wanted dems this this uh this year too.
1: I think it should be like top Maybe. two most oh, wanted yeah.
0: dems. Um, where I were mean, you? Were you in the top five? You must have been in the top five, right, Matt?
2: Uh they thankfully they didn't rank us. It was just uh, you know, it wasn't a best in show kind of deal. It was just a, a grouping, which I'm just fine with right. well
1: if they had ranked you you would have been the top person because you won the caucuses for hillary in 2016 you know iowa so well anyway it was a lot of fun it was a it was a blast a good right
2: team.
1: yeah you got you did have a, you had lily adams who's now kamala harris's uh, commu- uh, communications director yeah. running iowa comms for you 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 did have a really good team so with that matt we are so happy to have you on the show today thank you
2: I'm I'm glad to be with you guys. Good to talk to you guys. Know both of you for a long time, and excited about this. We are too. Yeah, we
0: are. Um, so, Matt, the Iowa caucuses. What exactly yeah. are they? <laughs>
1: Demystify them. Well, the
2: caucuses them. have yeah. The, the caucuses have been around for a long, a long time. They're actually they've been around in Iowa since the 1840s, but they've they really became um notable in the 1970s uh uh, when they were redesigned and repurposed if you will in presidential politics and uh uh came about in the uh early state process for picking a a nominee for president and really uh came to light in 75 76 uh when uh, governor then governor jimmy carter uh, actually came in second here many people think he won the iowa caucuses he came in second to uh undecided uh uh in the 1976 caucuses uh but essentially uh surprise shock the political world went on obviously to win the presidency um and they've grown um and and obviously changed a lot uh since then but uh still uh first first in the nation and i think uh uh, provide the candidates a fair shot to make their case and, and to lay out why they believe they should be president.
1: And Matt, can you sort of talk about the process of the caucuses? I think for so many people who live in states where they don't caucus, um, it's sort of a mystery. Can you sort of walk through, like if you are a, an Iowa caucus voter, what do you do on election day? And when do you have to register to caucus? Can you sort of walk us through that process?
2: Sure. You know, and it's been in the news a lot lately because of some of the changes that came about from the Unity Commission, which I know you guys have talked about in the past. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the caucus is a. Sorry about where from, you know, roughly early in the morning till eight or nine at night where you show up at your your polling place and. Vote and leave. The caucus is a meeting of, of precinct Democrats in your neighborhood. There are about 1800 precincts in Iowa. Uh, they will all organize their caucuses and meet on, on, um, the first Monday in February of 2020 at 7 PM. And while parts of the caucus, I think, as you, as you said, Adrian can be, uh, they, it gets a lot of notoriety for the, for how complex they can be it's really uh a pretty simple process you show up you check in you're a registered democrat and the meeting's called to order and you go through some some housekeeping and some business and then you begin what's called the presidential preference groups and iowans will then sort of um organize themselves into groups uh in the process of selecting delegates to represent those campaigns to go on to the county um, district and state convention, ultimately to the Democratic National Convention. What is reported that night is what's called the state delegate equivalent. Who got the most delegates uh, pledged coming out of the caucuses is what's reported and ultimately uh, how the media, you know, talks about uh, who did well in Iowa on that very important Monday night in February. It sounds complex. Parts of it can be. Um, but, you know, they end up lasting about two hours. You're with your friends and neighbors. Uh, you, you have to, you have to demonstrate why you're for, um, that candidate, uh, in particular. You've got to stand and be counted. Uh, so it is different, uh, than, uh, than a primary vote. No doubt about it.
1: And do you, Matt, do you have to get a certain threshold if you're a candidate? I mean, there could possibly be, what, 15, 18 candidates still qualified on the ballot in 2020 by the time the Iowa caucuses roll around. Do you have to have a certain amount in order to go forward?
2: Yeah, the first thing you do is count off how many people are in the room. And so then you get to you get to that uh, the viability number. And if you, you basically have to get 15% uh, or above to be viable. And one thing that has changed this year in the caucus is, is that you used to be, um, everyone could realign after the first vote. If, if your candidate was viable or if they weren't viable, you could realign. This year, it's going to be different. You can only realign if your candidate isn't viable. And I think you're right with this many candidates, I think the field's going to continue to narrow. But I think there still can be 12, 14 people in this race by the time we get to Iowa. And so the viability question is certainly going to be a factor.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you look at – there hasn't been a recent poll uh, of Iowa. Um, I think the last one was the early part of August. Um, And it's really hard to poll the Iowa caucuses. Isn't that correct? I mean, the gold standard is the Des Moines Register poll that comes out. Right around the time they, um, you know, make their endorsement, but it's hard to poll Iowa. Correct?
2: It is. You know, the, uh, this is where modeling becomes becomes important. Um, and and Seltzer, who runs the uh, the poll for uh, now the Des Moines Register and CNN, uh, the Iowa poll is is uh, has a history of getting in and putting together, um, you know, those numbers that. That take a hard look of at likely voters uh, and has had a history of of, of picking uh, picking up on movement uh, again at the at the end of the race. But I think you'll see an Iowa poll in the next couple of weeks. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see one in the next in the next ten days. And
1: then Matt, can you talk? You you sort of talked about some of the changes that um, have come around as of late. Um, When it comes to the Iowa caucuses, one of those changes is the telecaucus. Um, The DNC put out a statement last week indicating that they don't think that these systems are secure enough in order to allow people to caucus virtually, if you will. Um, What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I personally think it's a very smart idea because... Certainly Donald Trump and the Republicans have done nothing to try to secure our voting system. So the last thing in the world I would think that you would want is um, some sort of discrepancy or even some even worse, some sort of um, cyber attack on, um, you know, remote caucusing, if you will can you kind of talk through how that might have worked if it had taken place? And and what are people on the ground saying? Are they disappointed that this is not happening? Are they, um, do they believe that uh, it could have been compromised if it had happened? Like, what's the, what's the scuttle on the ground?
2: Well, I, you know, look, I think the, the caucuses, I'm biased here, I admit this uh, uh, fair and square. But listen, I think the caucuses, because because it is based on state delegates, it's not just based on the raw count. So these candidates can't just go to the TV media markets and campaign and run their organization. Right. They've got to get out and go deep in the state. So I think that's fundamentally important to understand that the caucuses force more participation uh, and force candidates to go out and and to go to places – that are not necessarily voter rich. Uh, and so I, I think that's an important point to consider. The caucuses, I think we also have to be aware that we've got to do everything we can. And I think this is what the Unity Commission and both the Iowa Democratic Party and the DNC have worked really hard to respect the intent of the Unity Commission, which was to bring more uh, accessibility uh, options for people who can't show up in person. Maybe they've got to work. Maybe they've got to take care of a child or a parent. They can't be there at 7 o'clock on a Monday night. So how do we find a way for them to participate and mm-hmm. take part in the process? And doing it, um, you know, clearly in this day and age, there are concerns about, uh, you know, securing that and the the potential uh, for some sort of uh, bad actor to get involved here. And I don't think anybody wants that. So I think, uh, the, both the IDP and the DNC are going to continue to look at options, uh, in the next couple of weeks that, that may provide some, uh, effort, uh, to respect what the Unity Commission has asked for, but it does it in a way, uh, that protects the credibility of these of these caucuses. We have to believe in these results. Uh, We have to believe that they're fair. Um, And I think both the party and the DNC have done their level best uh, in tough circumstances to try and make this work. It's clear they're not going to solve this accessibility challenge, this cycle, but it's something they've got to stay on. uh, And I think they will.
0: Matt, um, just real quick back to a couple of the different polls that are out there, just to the larger point you mentioned about viability and how important um, the persuasion aspect of the Iowa caucuses particularly when you're in the room is you know mm-hmm. we've got you know 18 19 people still in the race 20 people maybe and if you look at most polls only three or four are actually close to or above 15 percent which would make you viable right. so that means a whole bunch of people who have two percent or three percent or four percent, won't be viable, and their supporters will be available to be persuaded to be organized into someone else's camp. So it's really, I I just wanted to get your thoughts on like the strategies that these campaigns implement, you know, at a precinct level, when they're, you know, uh, training their volunteers and their precinct captains to persuade folks from a campaign that is not viable to come over to their campaign.
2: Yeah, I, that's a really good point. I mean, we, we, we pay a lot of attention. I think one of the challenges this cycle has been how to measure with field this crowded. How do you measure who's doing well? And uh, especially with the tremendous emphasis on digital organizing and digital communication and messaging to voters. Um, it's different than the days when we started and it was, how many offices do you have? How many staffers do you have on the ground out there are organizing in these precincts. So the game has changed considerably, but, uh, the fundamentals remain the same. That is, you can, you turn out your people, but you got to make sure you turn them out that they know what to do when they get in that, when they get in that room. And that's a really key point that, uh, this really becomes a, this becomes a local voter, local, uh, effort at all of these precinct caucuses. They've got to step up and, and have their message and their strategy down so that when there is realignment, if, if other groups or other candidates aren't viable, that they know, uh, they know what their job is, uh, to go and recruit those, those, uh, uh those voters, uh, to their side.
0: And hey, Matt, do you have some stories about past caucuses where there were campaigns who kind of partnered with one one another and aligned with one another and I'm just you know, I feel, I know that happens in the past where you have these like, you know, partnerships that form, but uh any any interesting stories about that that have occurred in the past? Yeah,
2: I think those I think those, you know, uh that's certainly there are those alliances that happen. I think they that has become a a, a lot of legend maybe more than <laughs> than fact uh because again um this is driven by your your captains and your your neighborhood leaders and and iowans uh that are actually engaged here you can go in and observe the this process as an outsider but you've got to be a you got to be an iowa democrat to participate and so it's really up to them uh to drive this and you certainly train for that you certainly prep your your organizers and your neighborhood leaders had to do that. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, it's Iowan to Iowan is is the most uh, powerful and effective way uh, to recruit uh, and grow your numbers at the end.
1: So Matt, I know you said that you think another poll is going to come out in the next few weeks in Iowa, which we will be waiting for with bated breath. Um, But I think something that not enough people are talking about, um, at least not at the national level, not, you know, pundits on television, such as myself and and maybe Doug, um, is the ground game. Because I think that there are people in Iowa, candidates in Iowa, who have a very strong ground game, but might not be polling as high as some others in the polls. Um, Cory Booker, for one, um, his team yep. touts quite a bit, you know, his significant ground game, all the endorsements he's gotten. Can you sort of talk about, you know, and of course, Elizabeth Warren, who is doing exceptionally well in the polls, also has um, notoriously has a good ground game. Can you sort of talk about what you're seeing on the ground? Um, you know, who maybe are some folks that we should keep an eye on that maybe the media is not talking about as much because because they do have a strong operation?
2: Well, the field has to do something soon to prove that Elizabeth Warren isn't the front runner here. There is no, yeah, I've been around around the state a long time and I'm out and about uh, in the state and I ask County chairs and local electeds, Hey, who do you hear from the most? Who are you seeing at your County events or running into at, uh, democratic events and the answer is always elizabeth warren first and foremost so i think as since we're past labor day now we're in prime time if you will in caucus season. uh i think for uh for uh, vice president biden for senator uh sanders for senator harris um some of these other campaigns need to um uh, Need to get into high gear and begin making the case that they have some level of organization that's going to catch up to her Uh, because I've not seen it over the summer. It's just gotten stronger.
0: Matt, um, caucus night, we're watching returns. Are there bellwether precincts or counties that we should be paying attention to? Maybe even today, like where are some places, like if we're looking to get a Get a sense of where the race is uh what where do you recommend what are those bellwether precincts and,
2: and I, counties? i'm looking i'm going to look very hard at that mississippi river border of iowa i want to know what's going on in clinton county what's going on in dubuque county this you know sort of when i first got involved these were strong democratic uh territories we did very well turned out our people there had strong support consistently in those areas and we've seen erosion in some of these especially some of these blue collar and more rural communities so i i think that mississippi river uh, corridor is going to be very interesting and then the suburbs uh you know i think the, the great thing that happened in iowa in the midterms is you know we elected uh abby fickenauer and cindy axney to the united states congress and we did it in large part on healthcare and in suburban areas of those districts. So uh, I'm going to look at what's going on in in suburban Lynn County, suburban Polk and Dallas County uh, because I think they're going to be critically important as we go into the general. We've got to have we've got to have strengths uh, there by a large margin. And how are we doing in a couple of these uh, these rural counties um, and in the fourth district Uh, Up near Sioux City, and over in Council, and in the third district, over in Council Bluffs, uh, to see if there are indications that we can we can hold our own in some of those more rural parts of the state.
0: Do you think a Democrat can win Iowa in twenty twenty?
2: Yeah, I think I think a Democrat can win. I think it's it's not easy. Uh, I think there's, there's a lot that's gotta happen between now and then, but I think there are some warning signs out there for Republicans. I, you know, I th- everybody has dialed in, I think the rural vote has become this sort of catchphrase that a lot of people want to talk about. Very few people understand. Um, but the economic, uh, the economic health of rural America is, is not the strongest right now by any stretch of the imagination. And talking to local bankers uh, out in rural parts of the state, they're still able to work around and have some flexibility in moving credit uh, and deploying credit out some of these areas. What happens in the next six or eight months, I think will have a huge impact on how we do there as, as this sort of some of these trade practices uh, of this administration uh, and some of the market impacts that we've seen globally, uh, if that tightens up credit uh, and banks uh, are having a harder time making loans into some of these rural places, uh, I think you're going to see some strong movement in, in states like Iowa, who, uh, you know, a Trump plus nine state, you wouldn't think today is going to be the easiest. Uh, But I think this foundational work that the party and a lot of these candidates have done focused on rural voters uh, and suburban voters can be really important.
1: And, of course, Matt, on that point, so Mm -hmm. many... You know, reporters have gone to Iowa. You know, national reporters have done deep dives on you know how are the farmers who voted for Trump in 2016? How are they feeling about him now with the Chinese tariff war, um, with the you know instability that he's created in this market? And I can't tell you, and I'm sure you feel the same way. I'm sure Doug does too. How frustrating it is to see some of these folks who just keep excusing Trump time and time again um, for this mess that he's essentially created. Do you think that at some point, and this probably goes a little bit back to what you were just talking about, but do you think at some point some of these farmers, some of these, um, you know, farm workers who have been impacted negatively by Trump's tariff war and continue to be impacted negatively, do you think at some point they're going to say, you know what, I'm really frustrated by this. This is Donald Trump's problem. I'm willing to put my faith in somebody else. Or do you think you're already starting to see that change a little bit?
2: We have to meet them halfway. We, we have to make sure that, that, you know, remember, um, 2% of Americans live and, and, and exclusively make their, make their living on farms. So, um, but there is a strong, Overriding connection with the American farmer, with people who may live in small towns or in bedroom communities or even in larger communities like Des Moines or Cedar Rapids. And so there's an emotional connection there that our party has to meet these, these folks halfway and say, we will do the job better than he has done. And we need to make sure that they, they don't see our party put, put our party, uh, as a potential roadblock to economic success and i think that's centered on uh making sure that w- that they know that we will do a better job and that we will fight for that. They're giving him a long leash no doubt about it. But if you talk to many of them they will say we get the short term pain it we just we we believe that this is long over this is long overdue and we have to answer that. Uh that's going to intensify i think over the next that that urgency is going to intensify. But uh, we've got to keep talking to these folks and make sure that rural is not just sort of a flash in the, p- the flash in the pan. We have to be consistent about this,
1: right? And Matt, you're actually the perfect person to talk about this because not only were you um, Hillary Clinton's state director in Iowa, but you also worked at the Department of Agriculture, and you know how important the ethanol issue is to Iowa, and. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the Trump administration just reversed something that would negatively impact ethanol producers. I mean, that's got to make it even harder for someone like Trump, for Republicans to really try to defend themselves and uh, maintain support in Iowa.
2: Yeah, I mean, not only went the other way, but personally got involved and directed the EPA to to take the position of big oil instead of the American farm family. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of opportunity out there for Democrats. I think we have to prove to people, uh, again, that we will do the job better for them. We will deliver for them and that we are fighting and understanding and, and understand the unique role they play in the American economy and the role, um, that agriculture actually plays in national security. China may hold significant portions of the United States debt, but China can't feed its people. They're, they rely on other markets to feed their people. And that is, a, that is a strategic advantage to the United States and one we don't talk about enough.
0: Matt, talk to us about the Polk County Steak Fry that's coming up uh, <laughs> September 21st.
2: Sounds so it's, a, it's so I think it's a it's a you know, this was this is a remake of the of the world famous Harkin Steak Fry, right. which took place in Indianola for years. Um and was great because it was a way to keep Tom's uh political organization healthy and people involved even in years in off years for Tom, and it's grown uh, and been carried on even since Tom's retired. And Polk County's picked it up, and I think they've sold something like eight thousand tickets. Um, you know, it's I- I've been surprised because there've been a number of these cattle calls, if you will, these big events that there are 15 or 19 speakers at they have all sold well i would have thought there would have been some fatigue out there where people are like i can't sit through another three-hour program of these speeches but from the hall of fame dinner that was in cedar rapids in june jj this year uh the fall gala as it's called now uh and november 1st is going to be huge so the interest in the numbers Uh, of, of islands interested in this continues to grow. And frankly, I've been surprised by that.
1: Matt, I, I have to um, just walk you down memory lane. I was speaking of the Iowa JJ um, in 2015, going into 2016, it was a really big deal that we had somebody who was pretty famous, who you know is sort of like us, you know, being able to unveil, um, you know, sort of our fides with Iowans by bringing in some big celebrities. So we brought Katy Perry to perform at the Iowa JJ, which was a lot of fun, right?
2: It was great fun. And Hillary Hillary at first, as you know, was not for this. Uh, <laughs> yes. I needed cheap. some convincing on that. But it it was it was great 'cause it showed energy. Uh it was exactly what we needed. And you gotta make this fun for people. This, you know, again right. you're gonna ask people to to be there early and do visibility for you and be a volunteer for you and show up make calls. This is hard work and you've got to, you've got to give an outlet to your people and your volunteers to have a good time. And I, that clearly was one of them.
0: That was, that was a lot of fun. Matt, is there um, a dark horse that we should be keeping an eye on right now? Um, someone other than. Yeah. There's a surprise
2: here. There's a surprise here. There's no doubt about it. Uh, there, the, there's just going to be a narrative of who, you know, is the question uh, of who is third or, f- you know, fourth with a field like this. Maybe there, there are a few more tickets uh, coming out of here. I get tired of all of these analogies about how many tickets are punched or whatever it is uh, coming out of <laughs> Iowa, but there's going to be a surprise. There's no doubt about it. Um, Cory Booker is very well positioned. He has great people here, a strong political organization. He needs a moment. Um, it hasn't happened yet. He's very well positioned, but there's gotta be, there's gotta be a spark there. Um, you know, in the next, uh, in the next short while that, al- that allows his organization to take advantage of that and grow. Um, I also think. You know i I would also pay attention to amy klobuchar she's a neighbor she's strong on policy she's strong on a lot of these ag issues um you know uh, she's been here a lot um you know she's she is she's focused here uh she's not she's not spending a lot of time in california or in florida or other places she's spending a lot of time here the question is will that Will that uh, pay off for her in the end? Um, and then the dynamic of uh, Vice President Biden and Bernie, um, I think, is an interesting uh, dynamic in that they sort of, uh, you know, they're they are, uh, you know, it's, they're sort of one and two in most of the polls. But I don't know I don't know that we've seen that in the organizations uh, with the, with Biden getting in a little later. He could because of the name and ID I totally get that. Um, but you know they have to those campaigns need to, regardless of what they say, they need to be in the top two or uh, you know they're gonna have lo- they're gonna have trouble uh, going forward.
1: And I have to think, you know, Matt, on that point, Amy Klobuchar is someone who, you know, I think early on a lot of this thought would do really well in Iowa, given the fact that she's from a neighboring state, given the fact that she, um, you know, is relatively moderate in some of her positions. But I feel like, you know, I just worry about her ever getting 15%. And I guess if you are, if you're running a pretty delegate, a heavy or rather if you're if you're running an operation that is focused on delegates and you have a very strategic plan in order to have in order to get as many delegates as you can out of a state and maybe you're concentrating on certain regions as opposed to blanketing the entire state I just have to wonder if she can if she can do it I mean I'm a huge fan of hers I want to see her do well Um, but do you think she's someone who can reach 15 percent that threshold anywhere
2: I don't know. I think that's right. I think she's got to she's got to prove that she can. I think her lane may be, uh, you know, a Democrats who want the nominee to be a woman who um, want that contrast uh, and who, quite frankly, uh, don't want to go through 16 again and want someone uh, that's tough, that's on message uh, and that that can win and compete in rural areas uh, she can make a compelling case there if she can get her message out if she can get some attention um, you know it's hard to do when there are 10 or 12 people on these debate stages or there are 19 people given a speech at a, at a rubber chicken dinner uh, <laughs> uh, it's hard to, it's hard to punch through it's hard to punch through hey Matt
0: I got one last question for you and then we'll let you go yeah. um, Joni Ernst
2: is she vulnerable? Yep. Yeah. I don't, I, I think she's, I think she, I think her, her fate is tied to President Trump's fate in Iowa. Uh, I think, uh, she's a very good retail, uh, campaigner. Um, uh, I think the question is, is if the Democratic nominee, it looks like we're going to have a primary now, uh, for that. Uh, for that race. So uh, it's all going to depend on if, if our nominee, uh, is positioned to make that case that, that, uh, you know, she went to Washington, uh, on a, on a mandate to bring change, uh, to make them squeal, uh, based on that famous ad of hers. Mm -hmm. Uh, but has she done that? And can they, can the Democrat make the case and, uh, We'll see what happens. I think it's very dependent on what happens in the rural economy, and uh, how the president does here.
1: Matt Paul, my friend, thank you so much for joining us today. Hopefully, we'll be in the same city soon, so we can have a beer and chat <laughs> in about the Iowa caucuses.
0: Thank you, Matt. Thank you, guys. Do you guys, you, do, you guys you do you have a do you have a Twitter handle that people should follow to get the latest it's on
2: everything? At Matt Paul Ia. At Matt Paul Iowa
1: pretty that's a good handle
2: thanks nice, at, and, yeah, nice and
0: simple
1: nice and simple I should have at Adrian Elrod AR but I just have at Adrian Elrod
0: the great Matt Paul thank you so much for joining we will got to have you back on before the Iowa caucuses um, thanks you guys thank you thank you for my partner in crime Adrian Elrod this is Doug Thornell, and this has been The Electables we'll catch all of you next time